All right, well, as the children leave, we can open our Bibles and return to the study we've been having the last several weeks. So, yes, we again turn this week to Ecclesiastes. Last week, we were in Ecclesiastes 5. We're not going and touching upon every chapter in the book that Solomon is writing to give us information about meaning and purpose. This week, we leap way ahead into the study of Ecclesiastes to the ninth chapter. So turn her in, turn into Ecclesiastes chapter 9. We're going to read today something in the middle of the chapter in verses 7 through 10. Ecclesiastes chapter 9, verses 7 through 10, as we read about what we're calling and what Solomon refers to as the good life. The good life. We're going to read about it today. We're going to find in that Solomon is then telling us that there are things in life that we should take time to enjoy. As you contemplate that, remember this. I mean, Solomon, we've been learning a lot about Solomon and, and what he's been telling us in Ecclesiastes with his life experiences and some things that he's done. You may remember that he initially told us in the very beginning that everything is meaningless. But now it looks like that maybe he's telling us that not maybe everything is meaningless, that there are some things that maybe we should partake into. Maybe there's some pleasures we have in life, referred to as the good life. I mean, He's already told us that we don't need to count on things like wisdom and wealth and labor and working and worldly pleasures because he refines all them as chasing after the wind, as meaningless. Remember the beginning in Ecclesiastes chapter 1, in second verse, he referred to things as vanity. He says, vanity of vanities, everything, all is vanity. The New English Standard Version Actually, words is something different. It says meaningless. It says utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. In chapter 1, verse 14, he went further and said, not only is everything meaningless, but there's the phrase, chasing after the wind. I have seen all things that are done under the sun. All of them are meaningless. They're chasing after the wind. In chapter 2, he went further, and he said in verse 11, I surveyed all that my hands had done, and when I toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless, a chasing after the wind, again the phrase, and nothing was gained under the sun. So Solomon has been just a little bit maybe a pessimist in some particular stance because he's been talking about how everything in life, everything that is done, everything he has achieved, everything that he has obtained, all the possessions and the wealth, he says it's all meaningless. But now as we get into the ninth chapter and the verses we're going to read today, it seems that he retracts part of that statement about things being meaningless. He seems to say that some things in life are pleasurable and then we should take time to enjoy them and live the good life. Stand with me this morning as we do to simply honor the reading of the word. Again, we're found our text today is in Ecclesiastes chapter 9, is verses 7 through 10, not a lengthy reading at all, but words for us to receive today and apply. So we read chapter 9, verse 7, where Solomon says this, Go, eat your bread with joy, and drink your wine with a merry heart, for God has already approved what you do. Let your garments be always white, let not oil be lacking on your head. Enjoy life with the wife whom you love all the days of your vain life that he has given you under the sun, 
because that is your portion in life and in your toil at which you toil under the sun. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with your might. For there is no work or thought or wisdom or knowledge and shield to which you're going. Father, Lord, we thank you for the reading of this word. And Lord, today as we advance into another segment of Ecclesiastes, we pray, Lord, today that you'll lead and guide and direct these words to be expressed and said here today that truly are not my words, but the words, Lord, that you want to be heard and expressed here today to help us understand that there are things in life in which we should right now, no matter where we are, enjoy. Allow us today, Lord, to receive the message to tell us that life can be difficult. It's been a difficult past year for many people, and this year doesn't maybe seem to be different. But, Lord, in the midst of difficulty, we can still find joy and begin to still joy life. So, Lord, we invite your spirit to lead and to reign and direct us here today as receive your word. Thank you for what's going to happen here this morning for what we shall learn. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> well, the verses that we've read, again, it's only four verses found somewhat in the middle of Ecclesiastes chapter 9. But as we read these verses, they indicate that Solomon, who again, being somewhat repetitive, we know that he has had many things in life in which he has had a chance to consider. And he has announced all these things as vanity, as meaningless. But now he considers a special list of things and concludes that there are some things in life that maybe are not vain and then are things that, well, are worth enjoying and that we should relish and that we should maybe savor. In fact, if we return to the text, you can note that Solomon seems to be emphatic about the things that maybe we should do that we should begin to enjoy. Look at the text with me in verses 7 through 10 that we've read. Because I want you to see there's five imperatives. Imperatives like written as a command or instruction for us to do to advocate living in the way that we should enjoy. In verse 7, you're going to find three imperatives. It is go, eat, and drink. In verse 9, there's one more imperative. It says enjoy. It's like a command. Enjoy your life. And in verse 10, one more imperative is to do. Do it with your might. If you'd like to write in your Bible, like to circle, underline things, go ahead. Five imperatives that you find there that is worthwhile to consider because all that leads us into understanding that God has given three simple pleasures in which all of us can receive that Solomon outlines in these verses in which leads all of us to experience and to live a good life. He has very specific items. We're going to reword them. And we can find then, as we look into his items, into these four verses, that these three pleasures that we have in life that we can receive to make sure we have pleasures of a good life is this. Number one, contentment. Secondly, comfort. And thirdly, companionship. He words it slightly different. We're paraphrasing, rewording it, but it's contentment, comfort, and companionship. We're going to expand upon each of them. And all the verses actually point to all three of these. But before we do, and before we go further to expand, maybe you're wondering this. Where, why, and how does Solomon arrive at these things 
to enjoy. Well, the answer to why and how he chose these things becomes our theme for today, which is this. Life is short. Death, though we don't like to think about it, is certain. So live life in the most meaningful way that you can. Life is short. Death is certain. So live in the most meaningful way that you can. In other words, he's saying live in a manner to be content, to be happy, to be joyous. And find that comfort and enjoy the companion that you're with. Again, the entire theme is life is short. Death is certain. So live in the most meaningful way that you can. I mean, the theme itself points us and tells us to make sure we live the good life, which is indeed Solomon's point in these first verses. Now, before we pass all the way, one more thing. Remember this. Solomon has had many different things that he's done in life. He shared all that with us. He's had a substantial wealth, possessions, women. All these things have been at his disposal. But he's now come to realize as you get further into Ecclesiastes, you see him starting to change. He's now realizing that the good life is not found in wealth. It's not found in obtaining possessions and having things. It's not even found in the constant pursuit of education. We need to have it, yes, but not continually. And he says it's not even found in worldly pleasures. The good life is found in being content possessing comfort, and having love and companionship. That is the key to a good life. So let me repeat it one more time because he's led us into this, that the good life is not found in any of those worldly things that they're going to tell you you have to have as having a good life. It's not in pleasures or wealth. It is only in really being content, it is being possessing comfort, and having love and companionship. And it's ensure we get the entirety of the point, the three pleasures that we have in life, to live this good life. He says the first one, we paraphrase, as contentment is found in verse 7. Again, it's odd. It's maybe interesting to say the least. That the first pleasure, he says, to enjoy, expressed as an imperative to go, seems to pertain to food. Verse 7, go eat your bread with joy and drink your wine with a merry heart. He says, go eat your bread with joy. And I can hear some of you saying, oh, yeah. I'm given permission now to go eat all that I want. And I like to eat. I mean, it's like going to Golden Corral before COVID-19. They get all these thousands of items laid out there. And it's just a buffet ready to just enjoy, right? He says, go eat with joy. Go eat your bread. With joy. I mean, it seems like Solomon is just now telling us in verse 7 to make sure we love to eat. I mean, it's like the McDonald's commercial. I mean, McDonald's has a commercial. What's the, what's the slogan on McDonald's commercial? Chase, you know? I'm loving it. I'm loving it. So you go to McDonald's. You may not love McDonald's, but they use the slogan because they know people love to eat. Now, Solomon then seems to be instructing using the imperative to tell us to have the love to go do a simple pleasure in life to go eat. Eat our daily food rations. Isn't that just marvelous that he gives the permission to just go out and eat? 
That's what we seem to find on the surface of what he's telling us in verse 7. But we need to set that aside. I mean, just for a moment, look past the food and the drink and focus upon one word. And it's the word at the very beginning of the verse. The word go. Go. Because go conveys a sense of urgency. As in, you know, don't delay any longer, but go now. Go now and live your life with contentment, with joy, and be happy. Go now and enjoy the life that you have. You only get one life. So why not now go and enjoy the life you've been given? The message words it somewhat differently, but I like the way it presents the passage and presents the text. And the message, verse 7, is written this way. Seize life. Eat bread with gusto. I like that too. Drink wine with a robust heart. Now, we've talked about eating and how it's in there, about how we're given permission to eat. But you also may see another thing in there. So I'll take a quick time out here because it seems to also say, according to the message, drink wine with a robust heart. Another version says, drink wine with a merry heart. So it sounds like this quick time out for us to consider and see, it seems like Solomon is maybe commanding or allowing, maybe condoning, drinking of the fermented spirits, right? But yeah, okay, it's wine. He's saying to maybe enjoy wine if that's your thing, okay? But he's also, you don't see, he says anything about overindulging. Now, if, and this by no means gives any of us permission, what I'm about to say, if you partake into drinking wine, then remember the command from Paul which said this, do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. Even Solomon expressed the words. I mean, he now says this, but he also said earlier in Proverbs 20, wine is a mocker, strong drink a brawler, and who's ever led astray by it is not wise. So we touch upon that and recognize, yes, he does say wine. And now some people may enjoy wine. But look past the fact that he really refers to food and wine. Look past the fact that he even refers to eating and drinking. Because really what he wants us to emphasize and to learn and to see is not so much about eating and drinking that Solomon's really after here. It is really about how we need to receive in the current life that we're living heartfelt joy. To be content. To have contentment. To have contentment in life. I've noticed in the almost 58 years, I turned 58 this year, and I've noticed that some people just don't have joy and contentment in their life. In fact, some people will even express to you, as you maybe even question and ponder that, they'll even tell you, look, it's not right for me to even be joyful to rejoice in everything. It's not even right for me to do that because there's so many people in this world who maybe don't have what I have or are just are, are suffering. I mean, certain parts of this world truly do suffer. We're blessed to be living in the country in which we're living. And, and, and I know people who are just struggling with the fact that times have thought it's not even permissible. It's not even right for me to be content or to express some joy. 
And I can partly understand that feeling. I mean, it's truly sad. I mean, Solomon does refer to eating, so it's truly sad to keep on that thing for just a moment. It's truly sad to see people who don't have something to eat. I mean, people in third world countries are hungry. I actually looked up, preparing for this morning, I looked up the hungriest countries in the world and found one that is repetitive each and every year that has risen to the top is a country I really have not thought about and really don't talk about. It's the Republic of Chad. The Republic of Chad in Central Africa is a country every year on the list of the most starving citizens in the world. And, of course, the list also has Madagascar and Bosnia and Yemen. I mean, those other countries that we maybe heard about or think about. But it does break my heart to see people who are hungry, looking for that next meal, not having something for themselves. And maybe they have anything to give to the children before they give to themselves. It breaks my heart to see that. Back in 2009, I left the poultry business. I was no longer the plant manager anymore, and I began working as an executive director for a nonprofit faith-based company in Mount Pleasant, Texas, that would actually help out the economical disadvantage, the way they worded. But basically, it was a nonprofit agency organization to help people in need. And we had a variety of assistance programs that the agency helped the community. Things that we do here at the church, like back-to-school supplies or like toys for kids at Christmas. We had a clothing closet. We had a food pantry. And there was so much more that we did in that organization and that, and that agency to help out people in need. But the one that I seemingly to be the most in charge of was something called the Backpack Program, which was designed to help children that went home for the weekend, that were living in poverty conditions, to have something to eat. That otherwise, maybe they wouldn't have something to eat. And it was heartbreaking to be able to see a child Going home from school on a Friday to get a backpack, I mean, it was, it, was, it was a blessing to give them the backpack full of food. But to know they had to go home with this backpack or they didn't have anything to eat, it was heartbreaking to see that, knowing that they were living in poverty and the family couldn't provide for the kids. That's hard to see. And, and as you see things like that, you can begin to think, I don't deserve to experience joy and contentment when those kind of things exist. Or if you don't maybe think that you don't deserve it, I mean, at the very least, when you see that, it be, you begin to feel a little bit guilty. But here's the thing that maybe Solomon is trying to emphasize here. That as Christians, in all things, we should still experience joy in life. In fact, Paul said it constantly that we should be joyous. In Philippians chapter 4, verse 4, he said, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. And of course, two words summed it up nicely in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 16. Three said simply, rejoice always. So those are words from Paul that we need to apply to our lives as Christians. We should be able to, as a matter of being followers, believers, Christians, express and receive and have joy in our life. So maybe the question really then is, how can I? I understand what Solomon is saying. I understand what Paul said. 
But how then can I have joy and contentment when other people in the world are hungry, living in poverty, whatever cruel thing seems to be happening, how can I have joy and contentment? How can I even have joy and contentment when 2020 was so horrible and 2021 is not any better? How can I find joy? How can I find joy? The answer is this. Is that joy and contentment is rooted in God, who is and what he has done for us. It's all about Jesus. We can seem to have joy in our life when we think about Jesus and the sacrifices made for every one of us. I mean, Solomon will be admitted. He's already admitted to us. He can attest that joy cannot be found in obtaining all those possessions. It cannot be found in obtaining great amount of wealth. It can't even be found in accomplishments. Now, I mean, maybe those things can bring you some sort of temporary satisfaction and maybe some happiness in the interim, but it's not lasting. The true source of joy and contentment in all of our lives, in everyone's life, is only Jesus. Paul had written, written in Romans 15, 13. He says, may the God of hope fill you all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's what Solomon is trying to express. He words it much differently than Paul. Paul had a way of speaking and a way of writing. I mean, he could speak multiple languages. Solomon is now telling us in his own words the same thing as Paul, but he words it much differently. He words it in a manner to say, go, eat your bread with joy. Drink your wine with a merry heart. For God has already proved what you do. I mean, in essence, Solomon is expressing via food and drink to have joy and contentment in your life. But that's not all he's saying. He's also saying besides having contentment, to possess comfort. In verse 8, he said, let your garments be always white. Let not oil be lacking on your head. Now, verse 8 on the surface admittedly seems completely odd. Wear white garments and let not oil be lacking on your head. I mean, it sounds like you're at a wedding and everybody's wearing white and everybody's wearing an over amount of cologne and perfume. I mean, it's a horrible thought, really. I mean, you know, some cologne, some perfume's okay. But when you have too much, I mean, it stinks up the whole room. And everybody's wearing white. I mean, it, it sounds kind of odd to us to hear verse 8. But while verse 8 may seem a little bit odd to us in the way it was written, especially in the modern-day application, people in Solomon's day knew exactly, they knew precisely what he meant by the reference of wearing white and the oil on the head. I mean, scholars have learned that white garments during that time in the ancient Near East were the dress-up clothes. Many festive occasions were adorned with robes of white. They've learned they were worn by war heroes in a victory parade. They were worn by slaves on the day they gained their freedom. And certainly they were worn by the priest on the holy days of Israel. But to maybe put a contemporary spin on what Solomon is saying. It'd be like maybe he's telling all of us to make sure we adorn ourselves, 
comfortably as we possibly can in tuxedos and evening gowns and be ready to just dance the night away. Baptists do dance, right? That's right. Sometimes it's ugly, but sometimes we still do. But he's saying, hey, look, make yourself comfortable. Put all these things that you normally set aside for a special occasion and just live. Be content. Don't keep it for a special occasion. Just be comfortable to live. Dress in style. Now, regards to oil, to announce, anoint someone's head with oil, was not only an offering of a sweet-smelling fragrance, which you need to do in the right amount, but it figuratively also pointed to a blessing. In Psalm 23, 5, it refers to this, where he says, You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. But overall, it should be noted, as written by Dave Bland, what this verse is trying to tell us is the image in verse 8 of being clothed in white portrays a festive atmosphere. Anointing the head with oil is an image also used in the Old Testament to refer to feasting and celebration. Verse 8 simply extends the portrait of the previous verse. Enjoy the simple pleasures of life. Putting seven, verse 7 and verse 8 together, Solomon is saying, look, enjoy yourself. Things are going to happen in life. You, know, you can't obtain pleasure. You can't receive pleasures to, to make sure that that's what you're going to find joy in. But you can find joy in life. He says, live comfortably and be content. Don't wait for a special day or a special occasion to be comfortable and to be living contently. We don't so much in our house have special dishes. But I know a lot of places that do. All homes have these special set of dishes that you get out of the cupboard, you get out of the pantry, and when something special is happening, you present them out there on the table for somebody special coming over. But Solomon says, forget about that. Every day is special. So enjoy each and every day. Every day is a special occasion. Get out the good silver. Get out the good dishes and live comfortably each and every day, happy and content. That's the words that Solomon's expressing in these verses. When you put verse 7 and verse 8 together, he's saying live the good life, live the life that you have. Be happy, be content, be joyful, and live comfortably. But yet while I refer to that and begin to see that, we can't overlook something. We can't overlook the fact that while the white garments and anointing oil were great significance back in that day as we began to explain we need to also see they have a deeper significance in the life of a Christian, especially into the future. John's vision of Patmos reveals that to us. In Revelation chapter 6, he told us about how they were all given a white robe, the saints in heaven, and told to rest a little bit longer until the number of fellow servants and their brothers should be complete. I mean, it's not just once in Revelation in John's vision refers to the heavenly people, the saints having white robes. He also says that again in chapter 7. He says, I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne. So you see over and over again, John's vision referring to the saints in heaven having these white robes. Again in chapter 19, is the armies of heaven Arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, 
or following him on white horses. See, wearing white back in that day may have meant something special, but it also means something special for us as Christians in a time to come, in a time in the future. And we should look forward to that. We can even be content and joy and comfortable knowing that. But again, verse 8 just seems a little odd. But essentially, he's telling us to seize the day. Carpe diem, seize the day. I mean, Solomon is urging his readers at this point in the juncture of Ecclesiastes, he is urging his readers not to let life go by any longer, any longer, any further. Don't let life go by without experiencing some happiness. Have joy, have contentment, and have comfort. To have rejoice, to have comfort, to have contentment, relishing and comfort, for that matter, is not even a sin. In fact, Solomon even begins to tell us, he begins to justify it, rationalize all of how we need to have a good life by saying God favors what you do. The Living Translation you see behind me actually words it separately and differently, that God approves of this. Again, it's all meant to convey that we should live life with joy and contentment in our hearts and to live in comfort. But also he goes further. It's not just having contentment, not just possessing comfort. Solomon also encourages us to live the good life by companionship. Verse 9. He says this. Enjoy life with the wife whom you love. All the days of your vain life he has given you under the sun. Because that is your portion in life and your toil at which you toil under the sun. Note in verse 9 that companionship, as Solomon expresses these words, companionship is not just any companion. I mean, it's not your best friend from school. It is not your best buddy at work. It is not your lifelong childhood playmate. It's your spouse. Now, obviously, as you look at verse 9 and read it for yourselves, you can find it is written you know, from a man's point of view since it refers to enjoying life with your wife. I mean, in that sense, it's kind of what Solomon had written in Proverbs in chapter 5, where he says, let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth. In Proverbs 18.22, he says, he who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. But although he says wife, and that maybe is written from a man's point of view, it can be applied to everyone, both husband and wife, to enjoy your mate, enjoy your marriage. In fact, enjoy life with the one that you love, which better be your spouse. Enjoy life with the one that you love. I mean, think about this. How sad it would be. And you might even know somebody like this. How sad it would be to be married and not appreciate or enjoy the companion that God has given you. When you know people who may be living life with their spouse and not enjoying their company at all. They don't even like being together. 
But that's not the way it should be. That's not what Solomon's expressing here. He's enjoy your companion that God has given you. Words be words it this way. He says, no matter how difficult life may be, we know marriage has some gives and takes. No matter how difficult life may be, there is great joy in the home of the man and the woman who love each other and are faithful to their marriage vows. It's a commitment to each other. A loving commitment to the one that you're with to love them first and foremost. It's part of the vow. The psychiatrist Scott Peck words it this way regarding commitment. He said, commitment is the foundation, the bedrock of any genuinely loving relationship. In verse 9, then, what Solomon is essentially saying is that. I mean, he would agree. I mean, it's too bad he didn't heed his own words. I mean, Solomon, we already know enough about him to think that, I mean, he, he maybe thought about this too late in life. I mean, he forsook God's pattern for marriage and had multiple wives. He couldn't possibly have loved all them women. 700 wives? 300 concubines? The man's a lunatic. He couldn't possibly love them women. Love the one you're with. I mean, most scholars believe Ecclesiastes was written later in Solomon's life. So if that is true, and it probably is, then he's maybe making a confession here. He says, now I've had all this to happen, and now I know better. I simply should have loved the one I was with. Love the one you're with, your companion. So Solomon then, as we go back again to the beginning and look at these verses, he comes to an interesting point in his life. I mean, yeah, he has tried everything under the sun. It pronounced it all as vanity, as meaningless, as chasing after the wind. However, he also then finds something that he needs to tell us in his life experience. He finds three kinds of pleasures that we're allowed to enjoy. We word them as contentment, comfort, and companionship. I mean, have joy, contentment in the Lord and what he has provided you. Have comfort. I mean, you're blessed. Every one of us is blessed. So count your blessings and be glad and live comfortably. And companionship, love the one you're with. I mean, Solomon may have figured this out later in life. And maybe to some extent it was too late for him. But nonetheless, he leads us into how we can have the good life. And now, how we need to have the good life right now. That's his words. But notice we ain't done yet. There's one more verse we haven't covered. Verse 10. It contains the fifth and final imperative. Let's look at it. Do. Verse 10. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with your might. For there is no work or thought, or knowledge, or wisdom in Sheol to which you're going. I've always found this to be a very interesting verse, especially considering in, in the earlier chapters, in earlier study, in earlier messages. We've already learned that Solomon has referred to work and how that does not define our purpose in life. Work, labor, career does not define you. We may think that it does. But it does not truly say what your purpose and meaning is in life. Again, we consider chapter 2, verse 11. 
Again, he says, I considered all that my hands had done, the toil I had expended doing it, and it was all vanity, striving, chasing after the wind. He says, the work was not what identifies us. We, every time somebody asks us what we do, we always tell them what we do by our work. I'm a bus driver. I work in the cafeteria. I'm a preacher. That's what we tell them. That's how we define ourselves. Solomon says, that's not truly how you define yourself. At least that's not your meaning and purpose. But now here in chapter 9, verse 10, it seems to be that he's shifting gears a little bit. It seems to be, as I read the verses, that he's suggesting that we should work, especially we work in while we can. Again, notice the word do, the imperative, the command, do, do. It, do things, do work with your might. He says, there is no work or thought or knowledge later. So how then can we make sense of this? And how can we make sense of the fact that Solomon maybe slightly is contradicting his earlier statement? I mean, to answer that question, we've got to go back to the entirety of verse. So look at it again with me. I mean, yeah, he says in the beginning to do. Whatever your hand finds to do, like in working, do it with your might. But concentrate on the last part of the verse. Especially where he says, there is no work or thought or knowledge or wisdom in Sheol to which you're going. There's none of that to which we are going. Every One has a day that will be the last. We hate to even say the word. We hate to even think about it. We don't know when our last day shall come. Only God knows. But in that frame of thought, here's what Solomon is ending this segment with. In that frame of thought, Solomon wants all of us to know that we only have one life to make our contribution. Only one. One life to make a contribution. I mean, he refers to work, which he actually sets up as being a privilege that we have our hands can do some work. And he says, you ain't going to have any of that after you die. But think about this. Not only will we not have work, all right? Not only will we not have work, but when that last day comes, whenever God decides that is our last day, we no longer have the ability. We no longer have the privilege, if you will, to leave a legacy. In short, the day that you take your last breath, that I take mine, that anybody will take their last breath, as somber to thought as that is, your legacy has already been established. So what is your legacy? It's a very somber thought, I admit. But if today was your last, what legacy would you be leaving? My prayer is that we, together, all of us, have many, 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 many days ahead of us together. And that we'll leave a lasting legacy forever, utilizing our gift. God gives each and every one of us a very special gift and talent. We're not all the same. Not all of you look this good. He gives all of us a very special gift and talent. 
But we are to use that, establishing the legacy truly not for ourselves, but for the glory of God. Establishing that legacy for the glory of God begins to define our purpose. This whole thing we've been talking about in Ecclesiastes, going five weeks already, I think, and one more week next week ends it, has been about how we find meaning and purpose. Now Solomon says, live the good life. All these other things are meaningless, but you can do these things and have pleasures, enjoy the moment. He also says to make sure you have one chance to make a lifelong contribution, to live a legacy. And everybody thinks about leaving a legacy about themselves. But the legacy truly we need to be leaving is about our Lord, about how we've been a servant of his. Again, it's interesting that as he takes these four verses and we spin it towards the end, it comes back to the theme that life is short. we got one of them. Life is short. Death, yes, is certain. We don't know it, don't even like to think about it. He says, so live in the most meaningful way that you can. Which also then means that we need to live a life leaving a positive and lasting legacy of being a servant of Jesus Christ. He says, do. Do something worthwhile. Make your life count. Make a contribution. Leave a legacy for his glory. And while you're doing it, he says, be content, be joyful, be happy, live comfortably, exercising that special gift and talent that you receive, and share it, especially with your companion, the one that God has given you. That's the way Solomon tells us that we can live a good life. Live the good life and live it now for his glory, especially knowing that we don't have tomorrow guaranteed. So live that life now. Enjoy it. Be content. Be comfortable. And enjoy the one you're with. Father, Lord, thank you for this message as we begin to unravel this text today from Solomon. Lord, it points us to maybe something that we maybe had not considered before we came today. Lord, now the message reminds us, especially maybe now here towards the end, that truly we have one life. And then we need to take the life that we've been given and not waste it. To use our life, Lord, to further your cause, your kingdom. That's our purpose. That's the meaning we have in life, to honor and serve and glorify you. So I pray for everyone here present today and for those who may be listening later to recognize that we need to position ourselves to enjoy the life we've been given. You have to be content, to be comfortable, to enjoy the companion, but also leave that legacy pointing others to you. Lord, be each of us and let us be able to live that life now. Utilizing that gift. Letting you get the glory. Let us remember how thankful we should be. How blessed we truly are. She took our place on the cross. 
That should be joyful enough. Thank you, Lord, for this message here today. Thank you for the sacrifice you made for all of us. In your name we pray. Amen.